Welcome to episode 378 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a grand conversation with sociologist, activist, historian, founder and CEO of the Black Scranton Project, Glynis Johns. We talk with Ms. Johns about her journey, her motivation, challenges about white privilege and Brianna Taylor and Brenda Williams about coming together as a people, among other things. A grand conversation with Glynis Johns on this week's episode. We have an EWSA titled Shiny and Silver and a poem called Asunder. And all of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 378 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Make a beeline for the exercise. We gotta get out of this place. 
shiny and silver. As I listen to the late morning birds sing to each other as they perch within leafscape treetops, a small truck comes barreling up the road with a tank very shiny and silver attached firmly to its flatbed. It navigates quickly around the grass-covered triangular island in front of the home I am sitting inside, looking out this studio window. The truck pulls up in front of a porta potty The company name is Gotta Go. The young man driving the truck is alone. He exits and hooks a hose from the shiny tank to the porta potty flips a switch, and then a buzzing, rumbling noise vibrates both physical ornaments of human engineering. After a relatively short amount of time, the switch is flipped once again, and the bird song is prevalent. The hose is disconnected and affixed to the shiny tank on the truck. The man grabs a bottle made of clear plastic containing a blue liquid from a holder it sets inside, protruding from the back of the silver and shiny tank. He holds a cloth and has rubber gloves on his hands. The high-tension spring door opens. He steps inside quickly, and the door immediately slams shut. A mere number of moments pass, and the man pushes the door open, replaces the plastic bottle with blue liquid into its holder on the shiny and silver tank. He throws the cloth through the window of the truck, past the steering wheel, followed by his gloves. Opens the door, closes it, turns the key, steps on the gas, and drives down the road into the direction he first came. The birds sing. All is quiet and natural again.
Delinish Johns. Is that you? This is me. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Uh, E.W. Conundrum here for Troubadours and Rock On Tours. It's a pleasure to have you on the program. And uh, before we get started, let me tell the folks a little bit about you. Glennis Johns is an historian, a sociologist, an activist, founder and CEO of the Black Scranton Project. And uh, we're going to have her on the program today to talk a little bit about... The project and other things as well. Again, it's so nice to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. And uh, let's get started, Ms. Johns, uh, with your journey up to this point. Let folk, let, let the folks know. I mean, right now, I, I would guess you're in your 20s, late 20s, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I'm 27 currently. 20. Turned. Happy birthday. Thanks. And uh, so how did you get from... You know, zero to 27. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I was born and raised uh, here in Scranton, PA. And uh, growing up, I just kind of hated being from here. Being a young black girl just felt like this city was not for me. It had nothing to offer me. So I just envisioned myself leaving, ending up in New York City. So when I finished high school, I only exclusively applied to schools in New York. I ended up at St. John's University, um, got my bachelor's and master's there in sociology. And while I was working on my master's, um, I decided to work on a master's thesis, one as a challenge for me, because I hate writing and I just figured, hey, why not try and write a lot of pages on a research topic? So um, I ended up deciding on um, investigating uh, why African Americans are not seen as residents of the city of Scranton and trying to debunk that stereotype that black folks aren't from Scranton. And so when I started that back in 2015, um, I actually didn't expect to find anything. I thought I would just like kind of have to switch gears somehow, but I ended up finding so many incredible stories about people from this area, uncovering so much forgotten history and I pretty much became obsessed with it from that point on. And when I finished my graduate thesis in 2017, I just felt like I couldn't stay in New York any longer. And I had to come back to the area and share my work with the city and whoever would listen. And then that turned into a community project. And then that turned into a nonprofit called the Black Scranton Project. And now here we are in 2020. And uh, Black Scranton has been a whole nonprofit for a year. And I just can't believe that this started as a graduate thesis and it's literally now a nonprofit. And the work that I've been doing is still unfolding and I've learned so much about this area. And throughout throughout the past five years, I really have gained an appreciation for Scranton. um, And I've also gained an appreciation for the African-American heritage that is here and you know continues to unfold so that's oops i'm sorry you're busy <laughs> um, i know this is, yeah <laughs> and i forgot my computer is hooked up to my phone so it rings there too um but yeah sorry uh so yeah that's kind of like the quick synopsis of how the black Scranton project unfolded and then i switched gears from being a sociologist into a historian um of sorts and now here I am, constantly digging and just wanting to know as much as I can to share with the community because I think it's important, especially for um, young children of color, especially um, from this area. I just feel like 
the more we tell these kids that there's no place for them here, the more we um, reinforce the fact that they're invisible and it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I know how that feels and I kind of want to reverse that because yeah, there's so much beauty in being black from this area. And I think that we should kind of embrace that and celebrate it, so. Yeah, you know, I I was uh, born and raised here as well and uh, my experience is different. Uh, I'm European American though, first generation, my, my parents had the immigrant experience. So there are some things that go along with that too that are interesting. But um, for those who don't know, northeastern Pennsylvania, Scranton is kind of the, kind of the city in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, it, it doesn't have a lot of people of color. Uh, well, more and more so that is occurring. More and more people are moving here. Uh, people that aren't um, necessarily... Uh, 100% European-American, people from all uh, persuasions, uh, all nationalities and, and, and such, races. And that's a good thing in, in my view and I'm sure uh, in your view. But we, what would you say the percentage of people of color when you were coming up? You don't have to be precise uh, through the school system and living in the communities was. So... Only now it's about 6% of Scranton's population is African-American or black. And in total, people of color, it's about 27% of the population are made up of one or more race, according to the census as of 2018. So That's in um, Scranton or NEPA? Scranton specifically. But NEPA kind of resembles that in statistic wise. But um, growing up, it was pretty much the same. About 5% of the population was black identifying And um, in the school system, you know, it was only a handful of us there in the schools. And, you know, I've I've had my fair share of just like racism, microaggressions, all of those sorts of things. And so, yeah, like I just always felt like the city never catered to what it meant to be black. I just felt like there was no spaces here for us, even down to just going to the beauty supply store here. They don't have the things to properly take care of my hair and like all the TV shows that I wanted to watch. We didn't get BET on television here in Scranton. And so when I would go visit my cousins and family in in Baltimore and in Philadelphia, like I look forward to that because I felt like I'm missing out because it's not offered where I'm from. So yeah, like I just felt like it was always a little bit more difficult. And there is a population of African-Americans who come from other bigger cities and other spaces and have moved here, I guess, to like raise their families and things. So like, of course, you know, we're not like removed from like black culture or anything, but you do feel a sense of like displacement. And, um, and the- yeah, so I just always wanted, like, I just always just fat, like daydreamed about getting out of here because I, again, I just never felt like the city care to be inclusive towards black folks. Like the only thing in Scranton that's always highlighted and celebrated is Irish and Italian culture. Like everyone looks forward to like the Italian festival in the summertime and the St. Patrick's Day parade in in the spring, you know, and everyone here is Irish or Italian. And it's just like, well, (laughs) what about us? Like we've been here just as long and nobody really considers that. So probably longer. I mean, for there are African-American families in the Scranton area, as you know, I'm sure that have been here since uh, the mid 1800s or or earlier uh, when Scranton was founded. Even Uh, there, the Underground Railroad comes right through these parts. So there are. Uh, families that have uh, been in northeastern Pennsylvania and Scranton 
that uh, connect to the earliest history of this country. So for those immigrants that came afterwards that may maybe look at African-American families that live here uh, as not being as American as them, that's really just inaccurate in so many ways, even if you go by time. I don't know that time should define whether you're more of an American than another. It, it should not. But even if you're going by that, you would be wrong. You know, so it's interesting. It's interesting. Scranton is a very fascinating place. I'm with you. In a way, the more you learn about it, the more, for some reason, you respect it. Do you think it represents uh, the American experience, or do you think it's sort of an aberration with regard to race, with regard to uh, multiculturalism, things of that nature? Hmm, That's a good question. Um, In some ways, I would say that I I guess it does, Scranton does represent, um, I guess, American ideals. Uh, so like you were saying, like African-Americans have been in the city since as early as I can find the year 1800. And, um, in the first few African-Americans that I can trace were actually enslaved people that were owned by the Sulcum brothers. And if you're not familiar with the Scranton area, Scranton area was first like quote unquote founded on, um, the iron industry um and so like the Sulcum brothers were like mining iron or however you harvest iron i'm not 100 sure on that and then it kind of developed into the coal mining industry and scranton was also very industrial when we push into the like the late 1800s with factories lace just all different types of like mills and sorts of things so scranton has a legacy of being this an industrial hub a bigger city and um while the city of scranton is growing under underlying of these like European immigrants that are coming into the United States, a lot of them were coming in through Ellis Island and not finding opportunities and finding their way to Northeastern Pennsylvania. So when you have that, that trail of migration here, but then like we were saying, the connection with the Underground Railroad, you have African Americans who are coming up from the South via the Underground Railroad, um, taking one of the Northeastern routes through Northeastern Pennsylvania um, and further north into New York, and then some making their way into Canada. But anyway, yeah, like you have African Americans that are end up staying here um, in the in the 1830s, 1840s, because of the the train and the rail lines that are here. A lot of those folks were finding their way into the area that way. Um, and a lot of African Americans, I shouldn't say a lot, but the portion of African Americans that were utilizing the Underground Railroad or finding um, sanctuary in Northeastern Pennsylvania, Scranton specifically, were also men who were enlisted in the Union Army during the Civil War and coming back with troops from the area and staying here. That A few, a few African-Americans did that and ended up like building their families here in the area. So there's a lot of ways that Black folks found their way in Scranton, in the Abingtons, and in Lackawanna County. So it's just like, it's, it's just interesting to figure, like to learn those things. And yeah. Because African Americans have a different type of history and a different lifestyle, if you want to call it that, we can't really trace, you know, their records or their steps. Because, of course, if you are, you know, fleeing from slavery, you're not necessarily going to keep a document or a journal or, you know, you're not going to have photographs because 
when, photo, when photography was being invented, that this was kind of like a medium in an art form or a form of documentation that was only accessible to the, the upper middle class families and things because photography was expensive for a very long time. So like we don't have those sort of records and documents in the ways that like other European descendant families, you know, have photographs and documents and uh, like traveling, you know, tickets and all of these different types of ways to collect a, his a history. African-Americans don't necessarily have that. Um, and then also when you think about families and what's important to families in certain eras and decades, thinking even about now with the pandemic, a lot of things that people think are were, thought were important might not be important anymore because survival becomes number one. And so if you're focused on survival, you're not necessarily going to be focusing on, focusing on keeping family heirlooms that might be relevant, you know, 50, 100 years from now. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that explains why there aren't as many records. And of course, too, I mean, the the people who are in charge write history, as you know. And uh, oh, yeah. if you're in the minority uh, nationally and locally and at the same time, you're kind of still looking over your shoulder because it hasn't been that long since uh, slavery. And, uh, you know, although Jim Crow laws weren't so blatant up these up this way, the attitude was there. So you're, you're kind of keeping a low profile. Uh, so you're not taking pictures, you're not putting and you don't have the means to put to 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 uh, hire a photographer, as you mentioned, it's it's interesting, you know, a lot of it is oral, then just an oral history mm -hmm. that has to be passed down, I suppose, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like you were saying, like, the ways that people were navigating the space, like um, when African-Americans were here in the city of Scranton, like talking about 1840s, 1850s, um, even like right before the Civil War broke out, African-Americans that were in this area, once um, the Fugitive Slave Act was in place, um, anyone who had human property were allowed to go to any state and claim their, their human property. So if bounty hunters are coming to this area, which they did, they were like looking for, you know, this man, this woman, whatever, and would try and snatch you up and bring you back to wherever plantation or whosoever household you belong to. And so like you were saying, yeah, you're not going to present as if you, you know, you were once an enslaved person. No, you're going to present yourself as if you are a respect, like a rightfully belonging resident of this city. Um, and in Scranton specifically, and I think that's something that's so interesting about Scranton is it's like split in political views. So in this era, um, in the Civil War era, Scranton specifically was split between like abolitionists and folks that were, you know, pro the institution of slavery, not necessarily owning slaves or things like that, but supportive of it, you know? Then you had the folks that were like so adamant on abolishing the institution and thinking about today, like Scranton specifically, Northeast Pennsylvania is like a very purple area where you have like conflicting views on politics, conflicting views on, you know, civil rights and things. And I think that's also interesting when you kind of do a deep dive into the ways that the city like stood up for African-Americans in Scranton in particular had a strong ally base for a while where to the point where white folks were even like rallying around African-Americans who were being like scooped up by bounty hunters in uh, at the steps of City Hall, like inside, African-Americans would like fill up City Hall, pack it. Because I don't know if you've ever been in City Hall in yes, Scranton I have. and been in the chambers. It's not very big. But if anyone was um, confronted like with a bounty hunter and saying, hey, this person belongs to, you know, so-and-so, 
we're down, trying to get down to south, down south somewhere. Yeah, down south somewhere. So like, let's just say Maryland. Um, you know, they it was it was belonged to somebody in Maryland for say, and they're coming here and presenting in in front of city hall. Like, hey, this person belongs to so and so. We have the right. We have the right to take them back. The whole African American community here in the city of Scranton, like 200 folks, would like pile into city hall. Also, all of these like white allies would like literally be standing, creating a barrier around a person and being like, "No, this man works for me. Um, you know, he helps me like, uh, you know, dish out coal to people in the city. Or this person um, works at, you know, serving tables at this restaurant. Nope, this is not your property. I know them as such and such, and would fight and make sure that they, you know, were able to stay in the city. So it's really interesting. Um, that is. That's so. I'm, I'm proud to hear that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And like, you know, the, the papers would cover this stuff all the time and talk about it. It wasn't like a common occurrence, but when it did happen, oh, they talked about it in the news for days. And it's really cool to kind of see those things. Um, and I'm still working on ways to present these stories in a way like that, you know, I could share them with the public because like, I'll look, I'll like follow stories in the newspaper, old newspapers, like for weeks, and then like, you know, try to figure out like if it's still the same person or how they talk about it. Cause newspapers back in the day are not like how newspapers go now. It's like your social media. It's like everything you need to know about whatever's happening in the papers. Then it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, it would be like, Oh, so-and-so had a visitor from New York city, you know, at their home for dinner. Like that kind of stuff was in the paper or like at one point in Scranton, there was like this rogue cow just like running through the streets of downtown. They're like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. So you have to sift. Like, you have to sift through all of that. You have to sift through all that, like where the cow's going and stuff, to find some of what you're you're really looking for. Yeah, or just like it'll just pop up in the paper, and it's just so interesting to think about, like you know what was like you know hot news was hot in the streets back in the 1850s and the 1860s here in Scranton, and also like uh, folks were really screaming about potholes even back then with their horse and buggy. So nothing has changed. No, much. some things have not changed. <laughs> We're, we're talking to Glynis Johns here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, a sociologist, historian, founder and CEO of the Black Scranton Project. And, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, really uh, catching a lot of your energy for sure. You have tons of energy uh, and, and it's, it's, it's going in, in good directions. Now, when, when you look at your hometown, Scranton, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, as a 27-year-old um, black woman i don't know if you consider yourself african-american woman or black woman and there's other sorts of influences that come i'm not sure i don't want to be presumptuous um mm -hmm. but how i mean you wanted to get the heck out as many young people generally do from northeastern pennsylvania especially being so close to new york and, and pennsylvania you're like you know i want to go to those hip cities uh and, and and often you know we do and uh and we don't come back other times we we are out for a bit, and then we say, you know what, that place is pretty neat in a lot of ways. And it seems that you're you're on that path at this moment. Um, do you think, when you look at what's going on now in in uh, your country, in our country, uh, with regard to race and our history, uh, as it pertains to to uh, prejudice and and uh, racism and and so much hate? Uh, and sublimation almost of, of that history. Are we here locally going to come to terms with that? Are we nationally going to come to terms with that? And you know, you have a different view in some ways with regard to black lives matter uh, with, you know, during the pandemic going out and protesting after uh, uh, our brother, Mr. Floyd was killed. 
you you said no, we shouldn't be going out because we jeopardize ourselves health wise, right? Am I correct in that assertion? What well, we we could do other things. Um, I don't think it's. I I think so. I I think there's many forms of activism, right? And I think you should be strategic in terms of black people. I think we should be strategic in the ways that we um, go about action. I also don't think protesting is the only form of action. Um, And when I said that, I said that I don't think in Northeastern Pennsylvania, Scranton specifically, protesting is the best form of creating change. And what I meant by that was, what, from what I've observed in participating in some of the protests that have happened in the northeastern Pennsylvania area is that people are gathering, yes, and people are coming um, because they are angry about what's happening. But from me studying social movements from before slavery up until the twenty, the twenty first century and twenty twenty, a lot of the a lot of the social movements and civil rights activism. People were gathering and coming together and create and like having an actual plan or using the gathering to lift their voices and cre- like say these are the things that we want to happen, right? And I think in Northeastern Pennsylvania, from what I've seen, and the what reason why I didn't par- participate in a lot of protests is because I just felt like people were coming together, but we weren't get- gathering our voices in a collective and actually saying what we want to see happen. Yes, a lot of people are talking about police reform, defunding the police. People are angry about you know unjustified killings by the hands of police of black people. But we, what I've seen in, in my area, and I'm talking about Scranton NEP, specific, NEPA specifically, is that there wasn't any um, direction in terms of what we're saying and who we're saying it to and where we're standing and where we're gathering and what's like who we're pointing these signs to and who we're speaking to. And I think that become that creates more like confusion and like what the actual goal is. And I'm not saying that everyone, we're all gonna have it put together and figured out, but I just felt like for me and for the, my, my organization, Black Scranton Project, I wanted to make sure if we're going to organize any protest rallies or participate any, in anything, we want to know, we're, we're going we're gonna to ask the questions to the right ears. We are going to be loud in front of the people that need to hear it, you know? So that's why um, when I said that I didn't think protests were the best form of action for NEPA, it's because from what I've seen, people aren't even gathering in the correct spaces, not correct spaces, but in the spaces where their voices will be heard the loudest. And so um, I just think for people, I think across the nation, I think the protests are needed and I think they're amazing. And I think the the work that people are doing is like so, so needed and so applauded. And I think like we're, we're at a moment of revolution and people are tired and it's just like, what else can we do right now, but get out into the streets and say what we need to say. But again, I think, um, People in NEPA, and I'm speaking now on um, white folks and allies and supporters, they want to be involved in any way possible. So they're just like organizing protests from what they've seen and not like how to actually go about it. And so we're just all out in the street. We want to protest, but like protesting what? Like, what are we protesting? And so I just want people to like really get on the streets and really be strategic about the things that you do, you know, like don't waste time. I don't think we're at a space where we can waste time anymore. And so, um, yeah, like I felt like in the moment when there were so many protests being, being, being created in Northeastern Pennsylvania, folks wanted to create more protests, but I felt like we should join what is already being created, join a movement that already exists. So if that makes sense, um, that's kind of the point of view that I was coming from and where I was speaking for on behalf of Black Scranton. And, um, and that's the key. I mean, too, it was on behalf of Black Scranton. You know, oftentimes, and this in a way 
is racist, I suppose. People figure you're a black woman uh, leader, and there's an issue with in the community uh, that focuses on uh, situations that affect our black population. And automatically they figure you're part of Black Lives Matter, I suppose. You know, well, you're a black woman, you're a black person, you must be part of Black Lives Matter. And, and you support it, I'm, I'm sure, based on the comments I've read and heard you make uh, through the media. But you're also saying as a leader of the Black Scranton Project, I, my vision, as I see it from this position, is this. And we shouldn't just, you know, even as white folk, as you're saying, we shouldn't just all, you know, randomly throw ourselves in this general pot of, yeah, we're upset and, and not, not organize and have a vision. And have a, then we have a nuanced, dynamic approach that's organized to deal with the problems in the many different ways and the many different facets that they do indeed exist. That's what I'm hearing. Um, to an extent, I think, again, I think Black Lives Matter always and like always Black Lives will always matter. And I think it, that's important to like Hallelujah. continue to. Yes, remind people. Yes. And I also think, um, yeah, I just felt like people were coming to, to Black Scranton and being like, what what are you doing? What are you protesting? And like behind the scenes, I'm sitting here talking to the mayor, talking to police chief Graziano, talking to the school board, because I want to now see the city you know, have our backs. I want to make sure the schools aren't overlooking black children and continuing the school to prison pipeline. I want to make sure Chief Graziano and his staff of police officers in Scranton City are not unjustly targeting black people. And I want to know them and I want to hear them say that. And I want to see it in writing and I want to see it in legislation. So while everyone is out in the streets protesting, Black Scranton is actually doing like, you know, doing the legislative work, trying to make sure we have receipts for the action that people are in the streets for. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And so, again, protests are very needed, but like we're protesting so that we all know the things that we want. So it's like, hey, we need to defund the police. So meanwhile, Black Scranton is like, let me see what the police budget is. Okay. And so I'm trying to see how we're spending our money. So that way, because I see why is, why is the police budget up 4 million more dollars in their ammunition budget, but the school district still has a deficit of 12 million. You know what I'm saying? The questions we should be asking. And so when I was saying like, there's other ways to protest, you could do protesting by doing research, asking questions, calling your, your local legislators, knowing who your, your city council members are, because representation is important. And if you don't even know who represents you, but you want to be in the street and standing in front of city hall, but you don't know the people who work in there, mm -hmm. that's a problem right there. And so I wanted to make sure my city knew that. Because again, we can't have action. We can't, like, no one is going to take us seriously. Like I said, if you don't even know who all five members of your city council are, but you're, you're out there, you know? So it's like, I wanted to remind my community that like, hey, these are important. So while you're mad at me and Black Scranton for not organizing a protest, we want to see the, what the, we want to see what, what laws are on the books. And so like, when, that's why I say like, there's all different types of action. Like we need people that want to do the investigative research, want to look at the budgets. We need the people that will be in the streets and remind them that we're still about the action. We need people, um, yeah, like calling the school departments, calling the, 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 the school district and seeing what's up, making sure that, okay, you know, because of COVID, all the kids are getting um, Chromebooks now to do their work online, but do all the kids have 
access to internet and which kids don't. And most of the time it's the students of color. So that's a lot, that's not the work that needs to be done for Black Lives Matter. And I think in NEPA specifically, like I was saying, I noticed there was a lot of white people, a lot of white allies that were desperate to get involved in a protest. So that way they can just, you know, check off their, check off on their list of I am not racist, that I participated in a protest and then they can go about their days and act like everything's totally fine and normal. No, it's not like, it's really not. So yeah, I just um, I just want to make sure that people remember that it's it's more than the protest. When you go home and you you know you untie your sneakers and take off your mask, it's more to it. You know, there's still people every single day. The police are still driving up and down the black neighborhoods still to this day. The police are are still like targeting black people still, and it's like we need to we need to like stand up for that and we need to continue to make sure that that changes and again like continue to support black businesses continue to support black organizations and when you're asking to help people be able to provide the help or find ways to get them the help and you know what what can you bring to the table you have forks you have knives you have plates you have a a tablecloth cool we need all of that but someone comes up and they're like hey i know how to crochet a blanket here, I'll help you crochet a blanket. We're like, no, we're setting the table right now. And then they're like, oh, well, I have this. And it's like, you don't want my help, then forget it. I'm not even gonna help anyway. And it's like, no, like blankets are necessary, but right now we're trying to set this table, you know? And um, that's been a little frustrating. And it's like, I kind of try to remind people, like when you are reaching out to people who need help, just be there and like be a shoulder, like be a support and just, just, you know, just be on call whenever the help is needed. Don't get upset because you want to help right now, but there's not a space yet for you to help or you can't accommodate in the way that help needs to be happening. Black Scranton Project CEO and founder, Glennis Johns, a doctoral candidate too at Rutgers, right? Just a sociology? Not a yet, just a PhD student first year. <laughs> well, PhD student, you're getting there. You'll be there. Uh, you sound like a professor already to me. I don't know if that's what you want to do at some point. Oh, but. I am a professor. Uh, I adjunct sociology every now and then, um, college courses, but not. I don't teach history. I teach sociology. Sociology, yeah. Well, it's a pleasure having you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, and it's it's really heartening uh, to to know that you are a fellow uh, Northeastern Pennsylvanian as as well. Your insight is is right on. You know, it's it's right on the mark, uh, and I, I'm learning a lot too talking with you uh, because. You know, the the experience that you have is the one that you live, right? And uh, if if you're not living a certain experience, then you have to be open to to hear what someone is telling you about their experience. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think the Black Scranton project is kind of going to do that. Uh, and it also seems like you're going to hold people accountable, and you're going to give the people of color in this in this area. Uh, a sense of of place and a sense of self, given that there is a history, a long history here that that they can relate to. Though it could be reflected a bit more, I'm sure, in the school district, in the police department, in other significant positions in the community. I don't know if you said Scranton has, uh, what was it, uh, about, uh, well, 6% identified as black and and, uh, 20-some percent, they they identified partly of a background that wasn't, I guess, European-American, something to that effect. I might be messing that up, but... uh, Yeah, Um, 6% of of Scranton's population is black, and in total, 27% of Scranton's population identify as person of color or more than one race. There you go. So 
uh, we need to reflect that. I don't know that we are. If we're going to be fair, at least those percentages need to be refle- reflected in, in the pertinent and important positions in the community so the young folks can see themselves, right? And also so that there's equity. Yeah, uh, you know, I know there. That's it's easier said than done, uh, but I'm sure you're on that as well. Yeah, you know, I think um, all of that is is going to continue to unfold, and especially in northeastern Pennsylvania, young people are stepping up, and young people are correcting a lot of wrongs, a lot of generational. Um, systematic racism, a lot of like white supremacist ideals that are like really ingrained into some, you know, into the area, into families and things like that. I've been seeing a lot of friends, a lot of um, peers really like not taking it anymore and letting people know like what you're saying and what you do is not okay. And that is racist. And that is not how you know, I, those aren't my beliefs and, you know, black people matter and they're part of the community. And I've been seeing people really like step up into a position of allyship. And I think that that's really important. And I tell people all the time, especially, um, you know, my white counterparts that you really cannot be afraid of what, you know, your brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle, whoever is going to say your friend, because at the end of the day, Black people, people of color, live in fear every day. You like you can't even be in your own bed without dying, without someone breaking into your own home and being killed and shot to death. Like those are real fears that people have. Honestly, those are fears that I have. Brianna, um, Brianna talk- yeah. died in her own home. She was the same age as me. She's a Gemini. Like we are ba- practically sisters, and she also, you know, was pretty active in her own community and died in her own bed you know so and she still hasn't gotten justice and that to me is just so just it's just it's unexcusable and so i think like we need to really stand up for everybody like we need to stand up for black people because it's constant and it's it's every single day and it's not new it's because we have the technology to see it and i tell people all the time like like i've seen this happen one of my friends her mom was gunned down in her own home in the city of scranton brenda williams same, same, same narrative and it's just like this happens in every single community across the united states and i'm happy to see like i said a lot of my my white peers and counterparts are actually trying to like really step up and like really put themselves in front of like police violence, put themselves in front of white people who are being violent towards black people. And I think that's like the, the, the move that we need to make. We have to make it like we have to make it. Um, what's the word I'm trying to find, like commonplace where we just don't tolerate it anymore. Cause there are old people that are stuck in their ways and you know, they'll be, they only have a few years left in them. So you just have to keep reminding them like, nah, it's not okay. Like this is the change that we need to see. I don't know. I just think like, there's no, there's no space for me for you to just say you forgot, or I was afraid to correct somebody. And like, I think it goes beyond the internet. Um, I also tell people all the time, like you can't, you can't be an internet warrior and fight racism and, you know, and racial crime on the internet and then log off your computer and go downstairs. And, you know, your dad is like, you know, shooting off the N word and calling people all these just different derogatory names. And you're just in there eating your bowl of fruit loops. Like everything's fine and cool. Like, no, if you're going to be big and bad on the internet and fight racial crime, virtually you have to do it in person. Like 
you have to do it in person. Otherwise, all of that is null and void. So yeah, like that, those are the things that I want to see. There's so many people that talk on the internet all day long, but then in real life, nothing happens, you know? And it's just like, for me, I'm the opposite. I spend more time creating, like being about that action in person and then trying, you know, catch up on the internet later because yeah, it's like we live in this, we live in the world now. And I feel like being in your own community, finding out what's happening around you is way more important, way more fulfilling um, than kind of spending too much time on the internet. And that's another conversation, I guess, for another day. Yeah. Glennis Johnson, Johnson, I'm sorry. Glennis Johns. God, was that racist? Calling you Johnson? Uh, I apologize. Uh, you are wonderful, and I wish you all of the best. And thanks for a great conversation right? for Troubadours and Rock on Tours. I, I think people are going to enjoy it. Appreciate it. Can I just plug our Black Spanish Project info before I leave? Yeah. Okay, cool. So if anyone is interested in learning more about the Black Scranton Project, we are a nonprofit organization. We're dedicated to archiving, celebrating, and sharing the African-American heritage of the Scranton area. Um, and we also uplift a lot of local artists and local voices um, alongside of that. If you're interested in, in finding out more about our organization, you can find us at blackscrantonproject.org or at Black Scranton on all social media. Beautiful. Well, we'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Take care of yourself. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution sounds Don't you know Talking about a revolution It sounds like a whisper While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know Talking about a revolution It sounds Gonna rise up and get their share. Poor people gonna rise up and take what's there. Don't you know you better run, 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 But a revolution It's finally the tables Are starting to turn Talking about a revolution Oh no Talking about a revolution Oh While they're standing in the welfare lines Crying to those of those armies of salvation Wasting time In the unemployment lines Sitting around Waiting for don't you know, talking about a revolution sounds a whisper And finally the tables are starting to turn Talking about a revolution Yes, finally the 
And now from Harper's Magazine, thank you. Several statistics from their Harper's Index out of the July 2020 edition. Estimated number of U.S. restaurants that closed for good in March, 20,000. Percentage by which U.S. households earning at least $90,000 per year are more likely to have groceries delivered, 80%. Percentage of white workers in the United States who can work from home, 30%. Percentage of black workers who can, 20%. Of Latino workers, 16%. Portion of U.S. adults working from home who would prefer to work in the office after the crisis as often as they did before, two-fifths or 40%. Chance that an American worker stockpiled alcohol in anticipation of having to self-isolate, one in five or 20%. Portion of American workers who say they sometimes drink while working from home, one-third. Of Hawaiian workers who say so, two-thirds. Percentage increase this year in calls to U.S. poison control centers, 20% increase. Percentage increase since January in the price of fentanyl in San Diego, 40% increase. Of marijuana in New York City, 55% increase of methamphetamine in Denver, 67% increase, and miles per hour by which the average speed of Los Angeles drivers has increased since February, 21 miles per hour increase. Thank you, Harper's Magazine. Expression in your eyes Light up If you're feeling happy But if it's bad Then let those tears roll down
asunder. This heart of mine has how many more beats, I wonder, as the hot summer dries the grass yellow and the little white flowers shade toward magenta in patches of harmonious resilience. I wish to sit there and meditate, my breath no longer asunder, perhaps I wonder. a light then let it grow don't let it fall don't let it stumble if it's a light then let it grow don't let it fall don't let it stumble we've been down this road before Seen too much now to ignore. Come away from the darkness, darling. Step back into the light again. If you call my name, then I will. Walking this road, me and you Come away from the darkness, darling Come back into the light again If you call my name, I will come If it's a Episode 378 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Glynis Johns. I also would like to thank these musical artists Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Trombone Shorty, D. Light, Tracy Chapman, Joan Armitraden. Mavis Staples, and of course, Branford Marsalis and Terrence Blanchard, too. And I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, 
let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.